Amen. Good morning. We're in Mark 9 and verse 14 through 29. So, Father, in Jesus' precious name, we come before you with humility. We ask that you would be pleased. Father, if there's any way in which we've grieved your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you lead us to repentance? Mold our hearts. Shape us, Lord. Shape us in our thinking today. We want to be better disciples of Jesus when we leave this place. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've got too many kids to not have coffee, y'all, just so bear with me. Well, I want to step into a conversation today that's going to feel a bit um, maybe heady and maybe uh, complicated, theologically complicated. I need you guys to hear me say, you know, I say this to all you all the time, like touch your head, like you have a brain. God gave us a brain. I think in our culture, our modern Western culture, we have this tendency to just check out anytime we think a conversation's gone above us. But part of your worship is learning to to think on God well. Does this make sense? Part of worship is developing theologically and thinking about God and and thinking God's thoughts after God. Um, and so Again, this conversation may feel a bit, a bit heady, but it's one of these things that, you know, like when you're playing Jenga with your kids, um, if I can get the, the Jenga piece on the bottom out of line, then way up the tower, I can get those kids to make that thing crumble. Do you know what I'm saying? They're, your foundation's just a little wobbly, and as you build, things get real exaggerated, right? We have that issue concerning this theological discussion I want to have today. And some of you guys are going to say, hey, like everything you're saying right now is above me and I don't really care. But I promise you that way up the tower, there are some fruit issues that are happening in the church, particularly even in the church in our community that are directly related to the Jenga block that's missing down here. You guys follow what I'm saying? Um, th- there's a teaching that's flowed in charismatic circles. We're a charismatic church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit for today. Um, this teaching that's flowed through charismatic circles for the last 20 years, probably longer. Um, and the, the idea is that Jesus laid down his divinity when he um, took on humanity. That, that idea is called... Um, canonic theology or kenosis. It actually was taught really thoroughly in the 19th century in Germany. Um, it's wrong. Uh, it's actually heretical to make the claim. So, so down the line fruit, just, just hang with me. I know I'm already in stuff you don't want to talk about today. Get over it. I have the microphone. Okay. Down the line fruit. When people say things like every miracle Jesus did, he did as a man in right relationship with God. I've heard that a hundred times over, um, maybe even repeated it as a young guy. Every miracle Jesus did, he did as a man in right relationship with God. Um, Jesus was always God. Um, there's never a moment in Jesus's earthly existence in which he wasn't God. Um, he is fully God, fully man. But the, the argumentation, the line of argumentation is trying to create this scenario in which we think of Jesus as being just like us. And in charismatic circles, I'm, I'm just going to take my time to explain this. We sometimes want to think and talk about Jesus as being totally and fully um, 
rid of his divinity because what we're trying to do is convince ourselves that everything Jesus did, we should do as well. That Jesus did everything by the power of the Spirit, and we need to walk in the power of the Spirit. If Jesus raised the dead, then we should be raising the dead. And there's an argument to be made, and we'll get there, but the argument to be made is not built on the foundation that Jesus laid down his divinity. Okay, so for instance, I'm stepping in mud today, but I'm really not trying to make an argument. And if you get mad about this, um, whatever, that's on you. Um, for instance, when Bill Johnson wrote the book, When Heaven Invades Earth, it was like everywhere. Do you guys remember that season? It was like Bethel was everywhere. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. I mean, you'll, you'll find it. Um, Bill Johnson made several statements in that book that were very sloppy. Um, statements like Jesus set aside his divinity. Um, now, I, I don't have any need to defend Bill Johnson or Bethel. Uh, I, I will say that like in the recent republishing of When Heaven Invades Earth, he changed some of that language because he acknowledges that the language is borderline heretical. And so you could be one of those people that loves Bethel and says, no, he repented, he changed. And th- that's fine. I'm not really trying to make an argument. I'm just trying to tell you what happened historically in our culture and the way that's created a lot of division and confusion in the body of Christ. And so when he... Bill Johnson's just an example. In the book, when it says, Jesus set aside his divinity and every miracle he did, he did as a man in right relationship with God. It's building this argument and this feeling in which the church in the charismatic world began to talk about Jesus as if he was just like us and we can do everything Jesus did. And now listen to me. All of the Baptists are going, you guys are idiots. Jesus is not just like you. Um, so let me, let me show you a few things. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul wrote this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. That word is kino. There in the Greek is where you get the word kenosis or kenotic. It means to to empty. Um, what charismatics sometimes argue is that that emptying there from Philippians 2 was Jesus putting aside his omnipotence, putting aside his, his uh, omniscience or, or putting aside his power. And you, you need to see plainly that that is not what Paul is talking about. When he says that Jesus emptied himself, the King James translates it interesting. He says, but made himself of no reputation. Meaning Jesus stepped down out of glory. And in a sense, I know I'm getting theologically technical here, but again, this matters. Jesus, in a sense, veiled certain attributes. He veils his glory, but he never for a moment stopped being God. Okay, so last week, this is where all this is going to make sense, okay? Last week, we read on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus showed his glory to the disciples, right? On the Mount of Transfiguration, it was very clear. This man is God. This week, now just hang. This week, we're going to read. Jesus comes down from the mountain. And he finds the disciples trying to cast out a demon. The disciples can't cast it out. And so they say to Jesus, uh, Jesus comes, he casts the demon out. We'll read the story. And the disciples say to Jesus afterwards, why couldn't we cast that one out? Now, again, follow me. 
the traditional Baptist says, well, you couldn't cast that one out because you're not Jesus. Jesus just does things because Jesus is Jesus. Um, that's actually not the implication of the New Testament. Um, Jesus does not say to the disciples, the reason you couldn't cast that one out is because I'm divine and you're not. He says, the reason you couldn't cast that one out is because this kind comes out only by prayer. The implication being that this kind comes out only by living a life of intimacy with God in which you walk in such nearness with the spirit that the spirit's power flows through you. So, so this is, this feels confusing, but it's not. The charismatic argument has been, and this is not the charismatic argument. This is a, this is a fringe, faulty, borderline heretical idea has been Jesus laid aside his divinity and did everything through humanity and submitting to the power of the spirit so that, and to argue that if you're not casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, then you're not a real Christian because everything Jesus did, we're supposed to do. Um, the base of the argument that Jesus laid down his divinity is heretical. The idea, guys, please listen to me. The idea exegetically, or when you read the scripture slowly, that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to walk in the power of the spirit is absolutely true. He just, so, so you, you don't make an argument saying, Hey, um, Everything Jesus did, he did as a man in right relationship with God. Therefore, all of you Baptists who don't cast out demons or heal the sick, you're not real Christians, you're not real disciples. That's a really garbage argument. You can make the argument that part of Jesus' discipling his disciples was teaching them to drive out demons and heal the sick and even raise the dead, and that Jesus intended for the Spirit to come upon the church and that the church would walk in power. That is a biblical argument. And so... Uh, again, we, we have a scenario where Jesus casts out a demon and no one else can cast it out. And the Baptist or the cessationist would say, that's because he, he's Jesus. Jesus does miracles because Jesus is God. You shouldn't expect miracles through your life. That's wrong. That is not a biblical argument. On the other hand, the faulty charismatic who says, um, everything Jesus did, I should be able to do. You're wrong. Like you're not going to walk on water. You're certainly not going to go on a mountain and transfigure into glory. You're, you're, do you know what I'm saying? Like you, we giggle, but it, people say it. They're like every, you know, we're, we're just like Jesus. No, you're not sinless, spotless and perfect communion with God. Not just like Jesus. Does Jesus intend for the disciples to learn to walk in the power of the spirit? Does Jesus intend to gift his church the, the, the gifts of the Spirit so they could walk in power? Yes, yes, yes. So what we see, what I'm trying to get us to, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus says, look at my glory, I'm God. Then he drives out a demon that they couldn't drive out. And they say, why couldn't we do that? And he does not say, because I'm God. What he says is, so watch, he's saying, I am fully God, look at me. Part of my earthly ministry is, is modeling for you a life in the spirit. And so I cast this demon out, not on the basis of my authority as God, but I'm showing you that I'm walking in the authority of the spirit that you have access to too. But the argument is not Jesus is not God. Okay, so let me just, I'm just going to show you a couple more things. Um, if um, I get really mad at Pastor Brad here on the front row, and I wanted to take this bottle and just beam him. Whack. 
do I have the ability to take this bottle and beam him? Absolutely, I do. I'm a good, I'm a good shot. I can do it. Um, if uh, Captain John here was standing next to me and I, and I handed the bottle and said, John, beam him. And John beams Brad with the bottle. Um, Brad still got beamed. Did I do it out of my own ability? No, I did it out of John's ability. I beamed him. Now, now even that, even that analogy gets really faulty really quick because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in total perfect unity all the time. All that they do everything in perfect unity. But there are times in which Jesus is performing miracles and he is not, he's not using his divinity as a cheat code, but the scripture makes it really clear that he is doing things by the power of the Spirit. In other words, this, it's the Spirit's power at work in and with and through him. And the idea that when Jesus was baptized, I could give you 18 scriptures over to show you this. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit rested upon him. And then when Jesus says, it's better for you that I go because I'm going to send you the Spirit. Or he breathes on the disciples and they receive the Spirit. Or in Acts 2, the disciples, the tongues of fire come rest upon them. The idea is really clear that the church was going to have the same Spirit, the same power that Jesus walked in. The church was not going to be Jesus. The the church is not divine. And Jesus is not totally... Jesus is not... um, He's not absent of his divinity in his earthly life. Are you guys with me at all? The idea that charismatics make that say, um, everything Jesus did, he did as a human and you should be doing it too. It's perfectly appropriate as a, as a charismatic believer to go like, you know, I think that Jesus is teaching his church to walk in power and we should lean into power and we should, you know, want to see more miracles. I think that's totally appropriate. But, just to be clear, we are not like him. You, you can't perfectly splice and slice up the life of Jesus and say, when he walked on water, he did that out of his own divinity. But when he, when he raised the dead, he did that out of the spirit's power. And do you, do you see what I'm saying? You, you can't perfectly splice up where the power flows. For, like, it just doesn't make sense. There is a sense in which Jesus is teaching the disciples, discipling the disciples to do miracles, to cast out demons. That was part of discipleship. So you don't get to say, Jesus cast out disciples because he was God, and cast out demons because he was God. And I'm just a mere human, so I'm not doing that. That's an anti-biblical argument, and you are in error. It's not biblical. He's discipling the disciples into driving out demons and praying for the sick and preaching the gospel. Those are all kingdom things. On the other side, church, you don't get to say to people, uh, everything Jesus did, he did as a human in right relationship with God. And so you Baptists who don't cast out demons, you, you are not real Christians. You're wrong. Okay, that's not a good argument. That's, that's borderline heresy. For instance, I'll just show you a few cases. Luke, Luke 5, verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. The power of the Spirit was with Jesus to heal. Acts 10, verse 37 to 38. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus' ministry was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, which he intended for the church to carry forward. 
right? Simultaneously, Jesus is sinless. He has perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. He is omniscient. Jesus knows all things. Jesus, in some strange sense, this is what you would call the hypostatic union, okay? In some strange sense, in his divinity, he took on humanity. And so this is, uh, I was listening to a lecture recently, um, where, for instance, we understand that Jesus was a baby, right? Everyone, Jesus was a baby at one point. Um, Jesus also upholds the world by the word of his power. Those things were totally true at the same time. Hypostatic union. How does that work? Um, your guess is good as mine, baby. Uh, but that is, that, that's called orthodoxy. That's called theological orthodoxy. That's what Christianity has always taught and always believed. Anything that tries to make Jesus void of divinity is heresy. And anything that tries to make humanity God is heresy. But Jesus does plainly model for us a life in the spirit that we should pursue. You don't get to get out of that by just keep saying he was God, but he was God, but he was God. Okay, he was God. Obey him. Pray for the sick. You know what I'm saying? Like he was God and he taught us that we should carry the kingdom. Okay, let me read you the scripture and I hope it'll kind of unravel and make more sense for you as we go what I'm trying to argue. Matthew 9, verse 14 through 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. Immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. He has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And has often cast him into fire, into water, destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a beautiful prayer. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and, and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he says to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What we find in, in this text this morning is essentially three conversations, okay? And I, and I want to just kind of logically work through it, and we'll try to draw the implications. The first conversation we find is a debate that's happening between scribes and the disciples. Now, you remember, 
Jesus is coming down the mountain after the Mount of Transfiguration. He's just shown the disciples his glory. He was talking with Moses and Elijah. Everyone saw this radiant light that beamed from his inner man. The father spoke and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And now the disciples are walking down the mountain after this revelation that this man they've been walking with is not just a man, but he's God. He's the beloved son of the father. So we've just had this divine revelation. The veil has been lifted. Jesus has exposed his glory to the disciples. The revelation is sure. This man is God. Now, as he's walking down the disciples, remember he only took three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. The other nine are at the bottom of the mountain and they are having an argument. So the first conversation we get is the disciples debating scribes. The second conversation we'll get is Jesus uh, conversing with the father of the demonically oppressed boy. The third conversation we'll get is Jesus and the disciples discussing their inability to cast out the demon. First, Peter, James, and John walking with Jesus down a mountain. They stumble on a debate, okay? There are two parties in this debate. One, scribes. I don't know if you know this, but the word sounds smart, okay? Scribe. The other nine disciples, not scribe, fishermen, okay? The way in Judaism you became higher, uh, you, you grew in your education process, there was a point in which if a child excelled academically, they would move forward to continue to study. If a child did not excel academically, they would fish, okay? <laughs> That's being dramatic, but they would pick up a trade. And so we got the trade school kids debating the scholars, what are they, what are they debating? What are they arguing about? Well, it's really clear from the, the presentation coming forward that the, the disciples have been brought a young boy who is demonically oppressed, who, who is demonized, and the disciples are unable to cast the demon out. Now, I imagine that it went something like this. I think the scribes were standing around watching, nitpicking everything the disciples did, because they did that for the entirety of Jesus' ministry. And the scribes are watching them try to cast this demon out, going, get him, boy. Let's see what you got. You said that your, your leader was the Messiah and that you had this, this divine power. Let's see it, boys. And, and the disciples are going, okay, we'll show you. We got this. They lay their hands on him. They begin to pray real loud, shout, jump up and down, roll, turn, dance. The demon ain't going anywhere. One of them starts to skip and shake and... And Peter, Peter's not there, but, but imagine another Matthew pulls him aside and says, I think we're doing this wrong. You're embarrassing me in front of my friends. They can't get it out. And so I think at this point, the scribes are arguing with the disciples saying, you guys are uneducated. You can't read Hebrew. You don't know Mosaic law. You don't understand rabbinic tradition. You act like you have all this power and authority. You can't even get the demon out. You're just running your mouths. And the disciples are arguing back. No, we do this all the time. This happens at my house like every night with the teenagers. They just bicker back and forth. So Jesus steps on to the scene and and, and stumbles into an argument. When, when Jesus stumbles into the argument, the conversation shifts. So Jesus says, what's, what's this argument about? And immediately the father steps forward and begins to talk to Jesus. Because the father really doesn't care about their little debate about who's right or wrong. The father's got a demonized son. 
and, and I think there's something to glean from that. And sometimes in the church, we just want to sit around and bicker and argue, argue and point fingers. And there's demonized people. There's poor and oppressed people. There's tired people with marriages falling apart. And we're sitting around bickering about who's theologically accurate and the perfect expression while we're ignoring the issues at hand. Does, does that make sense? And so the father's just like, I don't really care what these bozos are arguing about here. My son is demonized. He brings his son to Jesus and he tells Jesus that the boy has a spirit which makes him mute. Okay. This offends our Western ideas, but this is a biblical concept. The Bible teaches very plainly that demonic spirits can cause sickness. The Bible does not teach that every sickness is, is derived from a demonic spirit. Sometimes your sickness derives from something called pollen. But plainly in the scripture, there are times where demonic spirits are causing issues in a physical body. And when Jesus casts this demon out, he refers to the demon as a deaf and mute spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, get out of him. Um, if we could like just take three steps back and try to understand again that part of Jesus' ministry is teaching the disciples um, how to bring the kingdom and bring people deliverance. Um, Jesus is teaching them about demons and how to get rid of demons and how demons can cause issues. Jesus does not say, your son has a mute spirit. Let's take him to the physician and get him some more pills. There, There is a sense in which Jesus, in Jesus' life and ministry, sometimes people have demons that are causing physical issues and what the church should do is pray that the demon goes. Not necessarily run straight to the psychiatrist. At times, you need to go to the psychiatrist. You guys hearing the nuance? Balance is okay. There are times where, where we have issues that, are, that I don't think have spiritual roots. And you need to see a doctor. I'm always for prayer and doctor. Okay, I've never got an issue with that. Prayer and doctor. Doctor and prayer. Prayer and whatever way you want to go. Sometimes prayer, therapist, doctor, therapist, prayer, doctor. Okay? We don't want to get down this road, and we've seen this before, where we start to think of ourselves as these practitioners who diagnose everyone. So if, for instance, when this demon gets throws this boy into a fit, it kind of describes, and I think, oh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident that some translations even use the word seizure or epilepsy. Like that sometimes there are definitely cases in the scriptures where a demon is causing an issue that the Bible then calls epilepsy. Now, epilepsy in first century Judaism and first century Rome was a very broad term. But anyway, the point kind of stands that, that what's happening looks like a seizure. Um, we don't want to go down this road if, if there's any person or kid in our church who's having seizures where we all go, oh, that's a demon. The Bible says that's a demon. Um, the Bible does not make this dogmatic every every A plus B equals C in the spiritual realm. Um, it doesn't make that. On the other hand, if a kid has an issue and, and it seems, if, if he's got seizures and night terrors and he's foaming at the mouth, I don't know, let's pray for the kid. You, you follow what I'm saying? Um, and, and so we need wisdom, but we're, we're not trying to diagnose everything with these nice little neat boxes where we pretend like we have a full understanding of the spiritual realm. You just don't. We just don't. But here, this kid is mute, and Jesus calls this demonic spirit deaf and mute. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening? 
The father said since he was a child. That tells me that the kid's probably a teenager. Um, if he was like like six and he says since he was a child, it'd be like, oh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't tell me much. Um, Jesus' response when, when, when he says, the father says, I brought my son to your disciples and they were unable to drive out this demon. Jesus' response again was not, hey, that's because I'm God and they're not. Right? Jesus' response was, faithless generation. In other words, gosh, Jesus wasn't this crass, but you dumb disciples. We've done this a few times. Like, I've taught you this. We went over this. Like, you're failing the test. You faithless generation. So Jesus does not say, you know, my unique position as fully God, fully man, um, gives me the authority by which I'll drive this demon out. Does Jesus have authority over the demon as fully God, fully man? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. The demon's going to go, period. But Jesus is teaching the disciples that they're going to step into the power of the Spirit and learn to drive out demons, although they'll obviously never have divinity. So he says, you faithless generation. And he says, the, the, the Father says to Jesus, um, if you're able, help. And Jesus says, if I'm able, all things are possible to those who believe. I believe, help me with my unbelief. That's one of the most beautiful statements in scripture. And there's nothing wrong, church, with people making that confession today. You come to the altar, you're tired, you're frustrated, and somebody says, Jesus is able to heal you of this diagnosis. There's nothing wrong with an honest statement, uh, complete honesty. I know Jesus is able to do this. God, please help me because I'm struggling with my unbelief. That's, that's beautiful, biblical, perfectly appropriate. And anyone who tries to talk you into talking yourself into believing, like just stop with all the, the fake faith stuff. Be honest about where you are. Let's ask the Spirit for help. Beautiful, humble response. And Jesus just loves it. Jesus rebukes the deaf and dumb spirit. The boy falls to the ground as if he's dead. The crowd goes, oh, no, I mean, Jesus just killed that boy. <laughs> Murderer. <laughs> and, and Jesus just picks the boy up. The text shifts. Now Jesus is back at a house with the disciples. The nine disciples have been at the bottom of the mountain. And they say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast that demon out? Again, not to beat a dead horse. His response is not, well, I just took the other three disciples to the mountain to show them my glory. I'm actually fully God and fully man, so I have a unique ability above you. He does, you hear me? He does have unique ability above us, but he's teaching the disciples. He's modeling for the disciples what life in the spirit looks like. And so he says, this kind only comes out through prayer. Now, what was he doing on the mountain? Praying. And why is he up before the sun rises? He's praying. What is he, what is he modeling for us? He's modeling for us a life of intimacy with the Spirit in prayer that walks so closely with the Spirit that you begin to have this partnership's not quite the right word, but, but, but partnership, submission to the Holy Spirit so that every step is in line with what the Spirit's doing. Jesus is saying, you couldn't cast this one out because you weren't walking in the spirit. You haven't become yet 
people of prayer who really hear God's voice and who really lean on the Spirit, you are trying to do things out of your own strength. Out of your own strength. So the idea is kind of that the disciples bull rushed into this scenario and they say to the scribes, watch what we can do. And Jesus is going, you're still learning. You're still learning, kids. You're not dependent upon the Spirit right now. You're dependent upon your strength and your abilities and you're unable. Now, when Jesus says this kind, everyone say this kind, only comes out through prayer. What did he just teach us? I don't know that there are kinds. When you're building biblical demonology, like it's obvious from the scripture that there are kinds of demons. And not only are there kinds, but it seems very plain that Jesus is teaching that there are levels of authority which demons have. And so it seems plain to me that the disciples are able to cast out some demons, have a lot of success with the little ones, smaller ones, but this kind they're struggling with. The solution to dealing with this kind is to grow in personal intimacy with the Spirit, to become a person who has secret place life, alone with God life, that knows the voice of God, that walks in union unity with God that steps into a scenario and things change. Now, we don't like this argument because... Can you guys hang for another 10 minutes or are you like, I'm done? Um, some of you guys are like, yeah, we're ready for lunch. Um, this kind comes out by prayer. There's a variant. You guys know what a textual variant is? It's the idea of, um, when we say we believe the Bible is inerrant, I, what we don't mean by that is we believe the KJV and the NIV and the ESV and, and, and the NLT, the message. We're not saying that we believe that every translation is perfect in its translation. Does that make sense? It's a translation. We're saying we believe the Bible was inerrant in its original language, in its original copy. It was perfect. Now, the, the, the NIV and the ESV translators might disagree about the way a word should be translated into English, and one of them is right and one of them is wrong. You following me? So, for instance, in this text, and there's the same scenario in Matthew, there's a variant. The, the text reads, the oldest, the oldest text, the oldest copies of Mark's gospel that we have reads, this kind comes out by prayer. Now, what we know is that scribes who copied the scriptures, who made copies of the copies so that we would have lots of copies, those scribes would sometimes make notes in the margins. The problem that created is that when the scribe who wrote Mark's gospel made a note in the margin, the next scribe who came to copy it wasn't sure if he just forgot a word or did he intend for that just to be a note or to go in the scripture. I, they don't know. And so sometimes there were, there were words that got added in. So for instance, um, there are times where your Bible will read, this kind comes only out by prayer and what? And fasting. You've read in fasting. But the earliest copies never said fasting. That, that's what you would call a variant. There's a point where fasting got brought in. Now, for you TikTok theologians, I know there's some of you out there who, who want to send videos about how the, the ESV 
deleted a verse from Matthew's gospel. Um, No, it didn't. The KJV worked from manuscripts. You guys, I don't know if you realize this, but when the KJV was translated, like they didn't have the internet or their, (laughs) their sources were limited. And so they worked from manuscripts that had variants. And so there was a variant there that the, the modern translations will usually still include, but leave you a note that says, by the way, this wasn't in the earliest, the, or the earliest copies. This was added. And so the, the variant that we've been taught is prayer and fasting. Now, what we can say is, and fasting was not in Mark's gospel. Mark did not write and fasting. Therefore, we don't believe that to be part of an errant scripture. What we can also say is that the early church clearly believed and fasting. Somebody wrote it in the margins and they all copied it and talked about it. And so on one hand, it's not scripture that we have to receive with full authority, the fasting part. On the other hand, fasting is biblical and the early church seemed to be teaching and believing that when an individual lived a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, there was a unity with the spirit which enabled the person to cast out even that kind. And so... There are two things that happen, okay? One is we have churches in America who, who won't even try that kind. You know, just, just give them a couple pills and move on. Um, or seriously, man, how many times are there people in our families that are seriously demonized and we all just relegate them to a medical institute and it's like, they're just nuts. Um, yeah, they're nuts. They might be demonized. Um, and other, other times, obviously, there are, there are physiological issues. I'm not arguing that there aren't. But we should consider the fact, at least, that the Bible presents that sometimes people are demonized. So there are some churches who say, you know, everything needs a pill. We just turn our face from that. There are other churches like ours and many charismatic churches who just keep running at this kind. And we think that authority is raising our voice louder. Right? We can't get the demon out, so we shout louder. You think that if you pray in tongues with an extra, that that's authority. Bad news, it's not. You don't get to earn authority in a moment just by jumping higher than the person next to you. Authority in the spirit is something that you only gain in the secret place with God. And people who walk in the authority and the power of God do not need to shout, roll, jump, shake to make it happen. It just They just walk in it. And so um, in one sense... Every believer has the authority of Christ, access to the authority of Christ. Any of you guys get saved and like the first day you got saved, you prayed for someone who was sick and they got healed and you're like, I didn't learn that, it just happened, right? There, sometimes new, new believers, first saved believers, they get some kind of extra juice where they just, stuff just happens. Um, so and on one hand, we all have access to authority in Jesus' name without a shadow of a doubt. On the other hand, we learn and we grow and we disciple into unity and communion with the Holy Ghost, and we begin to walk day by day, fulfilling the mission of God through the power of the Spirit. We learn all of that tucked away in your closet alone. You can't fake it. You can't fake it. We have so many charismatic churches trying to fake it. Just yell louder. I, I, I remember I remembered this morning, I was like, a ministry school student, and we had this, this girl in the back room uh, you know how sometimes when someone's manifesting a demon, churches will bring them to the back room. I realized that sounded really bad the way it came out at first. Um, there was a girl manifesting a demon. And the pastors uh, over dragged the girl to the back room and they're praying. And in the moment, I thought to myself in my flesh, I'm going to show them how much authority I have. 
Like these pastors need to know that I'm the real deal, baby. And so I, I just raised my voice out in Jesus name. It didn't come out. So I left. <laughs> and the pastors dealt with it. <laughs> um, okay, so, so to back up, back, I know this is a big conversation. The modern breakdown in our communication between, um, I'm using the term Baptist to, to include cessationists, Presbyterians, people who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and us who do believe in the gifts of the Spirit. The modern breakdown is many of us have tried to say Jesus was put aside his divinity and was just like us. And so we can do everything Jesus does. And they're over there saying, you guys are heretics. And by the way, they're kind of right, right? Like that is not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is not just like us. Um, he, he, he assumed humanity. He was fully human, but there wasn't a step that he took that he wasn't fully God. Um, not, not a single step. And so we don't want to argue for praying for the demons by saying Jesus was just like us. We want to argue for praying for the demons by saying Jesus taught his disciples to walk in the power of the spirit and deal with demons. And that's a biblical argument without diminishing the, the nature of Christ. This argument that says Jesus was just like us, it's insulting to the glory of Christ Jesus. He is the eternal son of God. He wasn't created. He's always been. He upholds the universe by the word of his mouth. You can't uphold your bank account. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not him. But on the other, on the other stroke, he who upholds the universe by the word of his mouth, he discipled the disciples into walking in unity and communion with the Holy Spirit and believing God for the miraculous in their day-to-day life. And there's, there's nothing wrong with us as a church saying, we honor, fully believe with all of our heart that Jesus was absolutely God from all of eternity past to all the way future. He never changes. He's just fully God. And saying, but we believe that part of discipleship, not all of discipleship, some of discipleship was about your marriage. Some of discipleship was about your finances. Some of discipleship was like, you got to quit lying and be an honest person. But part of discipleship was walking in the spirit, receiving the gifts of the spirit, believing God to heal the sick. That was part of Jesus's model for teaching the disciples. Somebody agree with me, please. We need that balance, okay? We need to get to the place where we recognize that just yelling and shouting and jumping doesn't create authority. Diminishing Jesus to be like us doesn't make us like him. You hear me? It just makes you stupid. We need to get to the place where we honor his divinity and we honor his teaching here in the text where he said, look, this kind comes out through a life of prayer and fasting. I don't think there's any sense in which Jesus means, maybe some, I don't think he means you should have just prayed when you laid hands on him and tried to cast the demon out rather than, than, than commanding. I think what he meant was you, you haven't yet excelled in authority as you've built unity, communion with the Holy Spirit. You're doing things outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You guys follow me? So where does that leave us as a church today? Well, that leaves us, again, we kind, of, we kind of beat around this bush yesterday or last Sunday. That leaves us not running after people with demonic issues and wanting to do the signs and wonders and miracles, wanting to do the stuff without first wanting to be alone with God. 
The only way we get to authority, the only way we get to fulfilling the call of God in our life, in our midst, is not to be more dogged, to yell louder, to jump louder, to scream in tongues every chance we get. The only way we grow in authority is to hide ourselves in the closet and say, Lord, I want to know your spirit. I want to know your voice. So we have to be people of, of, of prayer before we can be people of power. People who aren't people of prayer but want power become what we call showmen. Everything's about getting attention. That's why I walked in the room that day and started yelling real loud because I wanted to show people what I was made of. I did show them what I was made of. Nothing. Okay. Um, so as a church, we're going after prayer right now. And part of going after prayer is because we want to be people of power in our community. I think there is a this kind that surrounds our region that needs to be dealt with. And that this kind of demon that surrounds our region is not going to be dealt with just because we shout louder. There are going to have to be people who move in the secret place in prayer, move in prayer meetings, who really begin to walk in submission to the spirit and walk in kind of a simple, sometimes even quiet authority that when they step in the room, the spirit of God steps in the room and things change. You can't fake that. You guys with me? Why don't you stand to your feet? We'll get ready to close. Zach, will you come? I know that felt roundabout, but I hope you, you chew on it. Think about it. I think there's an invitation. Altar team, if you want to get in place. I think there's an invitation today to respond to Jesus' word. This kind comes out by prayer. To respond to Jesus' word. To, to live a life devoted to the secret place in submission to the Holy Spirit. In obedience to his voice. I think there's an invitation to stop trying to do everything by your strength and personality and loudness and to start living a life simply submitted to the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense? I'm going to ask the team to play for us for a second. And I want to open the altars. And if, you, if you're just like, man, I want to respond to the invitation. I want to be a person who lives in the secret with God and who steps out of the closet with authority. I want to step off the mountain of prayer and have the authority of God on my life to drive out the demons that assault our community. I, I want to be a, a person of prayer first so that I can really know power. If that's you, I want you to come. Zach, would you just sing for us for a while?